Developing the Leader Within is a podcast that focuses on leadership, management, and career development. We nosedive into the areas that are holding you back from your full potential. Let us begin. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Developing the Leader Within. I'm Enrique Acosta Gonzalez, and I am here with a special guest, and I'm so excited. Most of you know that I've dedicated September to the veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. And so today we have a veteran, uh, and I'm not going to steal her thunder, but Dr. Cedar Maloon Gibson. She is with us. And uh, I'm going to have her introduce herself and tell, tell us a little bit about her background. So quick, first of all, I want to just um, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to be able to share some tidbits on your platform, especially since this is Veterans Month. I really appreciate it. We have a mutual friend, uh, Terry. And uh, I just, I am so excited about this. You know, I, I am just going to flow and uh, we are going to talk about crisis uh, management and leadership. And that's what I see both of us have in common. Developing the leader within, I think that is so awesome because uh, if you go all the way back on my Facebook, you'll see that was the first thing I had on there some 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, developing the leader within. Yes. Uh, so a little bit about myself. Uh, I am Cedar Maloon Gibson. Most people call me Dr. Cedar. Uh, I uh, was in the military. I'm a veteran of 29 years and um, I'm called to serve. I uh, consider myself a leadership uh, in the area of leadership expertise in growing and empowering future leaders for extraordinary success. And um, I, now I am considered a growth strategist. I'm certified in many different ways, but mostly I um, I say I am God inspired. <laughs> you know, God has given me the wisdom. You know, God provides the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So I am here. I'm excited. You know, I've served. I know you have served too. Who are retired? You know, living our best life now. You know, to God be the glory for everything, and and helping others. That's what I am doing. You know, helping others along the way. But for the business side of it, I um I try to grow leaders. What leaders do? Leaders are actually great followers, and leaders produce other leaders. We grow and empower future leaders here at MGAA Professional Development Institute. And on the nonprofit side, uh, I help students, you know, those students that need a little help going to college to expose their possibilities that people call their disenfranchised, they're not, they're students with possibilities. I am happy to serve in my community. I have a ministry calling and uh, I've been ordained back in 2005 by Bishop Thomas Solomon into um, the Baptist faith. And that's it. Outstanding. I love every bit of that. <laughs> and uh, and we're, you, you mentioned briefly there that we're going to be talking about decisive actions. And this is what I love about yes. the, uh, the leadership uh, platform. You get to talk about everything leadership. But today we're yes. going to be decisive actions to implement during crisis. And right. crisis leadership is something that 
folks don't prepare for. They don't, they don't take on the, the necessary steps to ensure that when, and, and when I say when, it is exactly that, when the crisis comes, <laughs> that you're ready for it. So I'm so happy uh, to have you with us to ex explore that specific topic. And I just can't wait to see uh, what it is that you're going to, uh, you know, give us today. And I'm, I'm just so happy to have you. Uh, now, today, talking specifically about crisis leadership, we're celebrating the Veteran Entrepreneur Month uh, and military spouse. You've taken your journey from being a veteran and you went on your own route uh, in your business now. And I'd be interested in knowing how you uh, took that transition from the military to being an entrepreneur, because it is a big leap. It's a different, you know, scope of work when you're talking about working for yourself. So if you could tell us a little bit about your military background and how you transitioned. Well, actually, when I was, uh, when I served in the military and when I served within Department of Defense, uh, a lot of my peers would come to me. See, I, I, I call myself a student for life. When I say I'm a student for life, I mean I'm a student for life. I was always studying. I wasn't in the club a lot. Sometimes I said I miss all my partying days. So I, I always had books on my desk, and I empowered myself. The first book I really read about empowerment was uh, Harvey Coleman, you know, uh, Empowering the Self, that book. And so I read that uh, one of my mentors gave me that book. And when I mentor certain people, I give them that book as well. Uh, so a lot of my peers and even my supervisors would come to me and say, uh, how you do all this studying, how you got, and I got promoted early every time. And some people would have said, oh, because you're female and it's because you're uh, black, but it wasn't because I did the work. And uh, I was an engineer, I was in the Corps of Engineers, as you know, and I, but I started as a private. But after I retired from the, the Corps, from the Army, and I went into the Department of Defense, and during that transition, people would ask me to coach, mentor, and teach them. And, you know, I love doing that. I love serving. I love helping people. You know, and I love seeing people succeed. So when I see all these people, and a couple of them got promoted ahead of me, you know, so I was happy about that. Uh, when I say promoted ahead of me, and uh, they were above me, or we were in the same grade level, and they got promoted ahead of me in another agency, not in the same agency that I was. So I decided then that I saw there was a gap. I call it a leadership gap, you know. There was a lapse in the system. And that lapse in the system was there weren't enough people coaching us, women of color or women in general, even males, there weren't enough, but specifically women of color and women in general, because, you know, uh, uh, minorities in general is uh, white females and women and black males. And some people don't realize that white women are minorities as well when it comes to career step. So a lot of them, and I coach a lot of uh, my peers and others that help ask me to help them along the way in the executive level and in just uh, mid-staffing, mid-level staffing. And I said, well, 
gee, somebody said to me, gee, you could make some money doing this when you retire. And I, uh, I didn't think about it like that, you know, but I said, yeah, I probably could do that. So I started my business. I start, I was mostly doing ministry, you know, going to nursing homes and doing ministry. And I said, yeah, I can, I can actually do that. So after, after they called me up for, um, Iraq Enduring Freedom, I decided to put something together, you know, put a company together and it was, uh, SNG is exclusively yours. And then it became, um, ATIC and MGAA professional development. So that's how that started. Me empowering others and helping others to grow. And from there, I, I got the training because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was equipped enough. So I got the training. I got training from Professional Women's Network. I became an author and becoming an author excited me. So I try to write. I don't like to write, but I try to write something every year or every other year. And then I published my own books. And then um, I know you were, you were Army once, and uh, John Maxwell was at Command, or the Cash Cube, that's a, a company grade officer's training. He came down, he taught us a lot of stuff there as a captain. Then I went to uh, uh, Command General Staff College, you know, he taught us a whole lot there. And, you know, so we got the books, we got the knowledge and everything. So I liked how he inculcated uh, the ministry side of it and the leadership side and the strategies that he gave us, you know, that we could use what in the office or on the battlefield. And the baseline was, um, you know, everything starts with leadership. So that's how I got started. That's amazing. And I, I'm a huge John Maxwell fan, as you know. Uh, you know, uh, I've been following him since the 90s when he was still a pastor in uh, San Diego. So it's been yeah. a while. He's done great and uh, he continues to inspire. I'm, I'm glad he did that with you. And, and yeah. look where, you know, look at the journey that you have gone down from yes. service uh, in the uniform to service in the community. I'm so appreciative of what you're doing, uh, focusing on women, focusing on minority women, whatever color they may be, and, and getting them empowered. And that's one of the things that I took when I was looking at your background, that, that, and that's why I wanted to, to have you on the show, because you, you're empowering people that yes. are being passed over, right? And this happens all the time. All the time. Right? So I, I, I'm, I'm so appreciative of what you're doing there in, in that realm. Uh, today, we're, we're talking about crisis leadership. And what a time. What, what a, a time, time to be talking about crisis leadership. Yes, and, yes. And so, uh, you know, I, I know that in the battlefield, uh, in uh, standard service, crisis management is something that we're taught we are always prepared for when the thing happens because we know it's not a, a matter of when it, uh, or if, it's a matter of when. when. And so uh, in, the, in the realms of uh, crisis management and leadership, uh, what would be one thing that you could uh, talk to us about uh, specifically when it talks about you know, you, a person thinking, I need to develop crisis leadership type of fortitude and knowledge to get me ready? 
Well, you know, we have that background, you know, uh, those people that was in, um, you know, the Boy Scout coach would be ready all the time, be always be ready. And um, with a mission, you know, you always have to have a backup plan. And that's one of the things I've, I've stuck to during the years, telling people they must have a backup plan. But before I start with crisis management and crisis leadership, I want those that are listening out there to be on the same page with me. So I want to give you a, a, a short definition of what I have, and I didn't coin this, it's from Miriam from Webster. A crisis leadership is defined as difficult time, a difficult time when disasters are happening and when tough decisions have to be made. When it comes to impacting people, groups, and society. And what a time, what a time, what a time. Crisis leadership is a time when we have to make tough decisions as a leader that impacts people, that means impact lives, that impacts groups, lives again, and impacts society, that's lives again. So what some examples of what uh, is happening now in our society coronavirus, fires on the West Coast, hurricanes on the East Coast, in the Midwest, tornadic activities, right? And uh, right now, the economy, dips in the economy, homelessness, homelessness, joblessness, people losing their homes and don't have jobs. We are living in a time of crisis, yes, I believe in faith, but with faith, you know, it, it's impossible to please God without faith, but with faith comes common sense too. So you have to be prepared. So one of the ways, um, uh, from my background, I was a mission manager during Hurricane Maryland in 1995. I had never been a missions manager. I didn't feel like I had the experience but I went in there and Hurricane uh, Maryland was in Puerto Rico. And, um, and uh, uh, they shipped me from Puerto Rico to St. Thomas. And then they had to ship me from St. Thomas to St. Croix because all the, contracting, <laughs> all the contractors were my family members. So I tell them to move me out of there. You have to have integrity when you're a leader. So what I did at that time was I learned a lot about crisis back then. My mission then at that time was ice, water, and top, and, uh, and uh, to connect the, the power grid. That was our mission as a team, going into St. Thomas, going into, uh, I was in St. Croix at the time, going into Puerto Rico, because we had lost all of that infrastructure and another storm was coming. So we had to make sure that the people got uh covered those that had any structures that were left they got the tops we helped them secure what was left so that they'll have something they needed the ice so that if they got food they would be able to survive and then water everybody needs water to survive and then getting the infrastructure back up that is the power line the power grids i meant they had trailers and stacked up like matchboxes i'd never seen anything like that in my life but we got the mission done. But doing that, the key thing was communication. The key thing during a crisis 
any type of crisis is to be able to communicate. And I want to say this when we communicate, we don't just communicate at the top at uh, you know at the uh, the top of the chain. We have to communicate bottom up and top down, vertically and uh, horizontally. You must we must communicate and get the in the right information out. You know, there's a lot of information during this crisis. We could just look in society during the crises that they've had. Now there was a lot of fictitious narratives long word for lies, uh, going out. <laughs> there was a lot of fictitious narratives going out, but we have to, in a crisis as leaders, we have to be decisive to get the information out to the right people at the right time so that they can make the right decisions and take the right actions. So that's the first thing I would say. You must communicate uh, the messages, to the right people, the right time, so that it can take the correct or the right actions. You cannot do anything unless communication is established. So we're communicating and, um, uh, and one of the things I like to tell people to when there's a crisis, especially if you're a leader in a large organization, uh, you have to do like Bonnie Fife did. You have to nip any rumors that's going on. So always have a public relations officer to speak on behalf of the organization so that a lot of mis misinformation don't get out there. So that's the key thing, communicating across all lines and across all languages. Right now we must communicate in several languages or and not only that, you must be able to communicate to individuals that are hearing impaired. That's why most of the time you see individuals signing, doing sign languages at most of the press conferences. Because, you know, a lot of us veterans, a lot of veterans lost their hearing fully or partially uh, during um, crisis. Yeah. Okay. So communication is one. What I wanted to say is I was reading in my research, there's a scholar that does a lot of, uh, he has over 150 articles and, um, and white papers, and he has penned several books, Dr. Robert Chandler. And he gave some suggestions that I like. There are others out there that may have done that, but he gave some suggestions that I like that fit in with what's going on now in our society. And I'm sure he was a consultant to many large organizations and to military. And these are some of the things that he said. He said that um, uh, P, the first P would be for planning. You don't wait until you have a crisis. You got to plan, plan way before a crisis come. Like I worked in the EOC, the, EOC, the Emergency Operating Center, and when I was uh, on disaster relief missions, long before that happened, I was working at, in the EOC. And in the EOC, that's what they call the think tanks. You go in there, you, you listen, everybody comes together and, and have a plan. Okay, and then when you have the plan, you have to assess, you do assessments. You don't just have a plan. Okay, we have this plan, we're gonna put it on the shelf. No, you have the plan and you should have, if we're gonna have a hurricane, we have to have some storage units filled with water, canned foods, cots, 
whatever, those things that would be necessary to sustain human life and protect the people. And then response. You have, anytime you have a crisis management team or as a leader, you should be connected to the response teams, the police, the fire stations, the hospitals, you know, so that you can have medical facilities and medical help when the time comes. And the power company, you need to have all those people sitting at the table or on that crisis management team in order to make an effective, decisive decision. Okay. And then um, delivery. You want to make sure that all these things that you're planning would be able to be delivered. Uh, I know that uh, as we look at what's going on now, the truckers, to me, was the most important. They were delivering and transporting not only food, but equipment, supplies, whatever. And if you don't have the infrastructure, the road structures in place for them to transport all these goods. And then if you don't have the facilities to be able to store the goods or to give the goods out, that could be a big snafu. As we said in the military, a snafu, right? So, uh, so you have to do P for planning, A for assessing, R for being responsive to have the response team, and D for delivery. And, and uh, those are the first things I want to say right there. Yeah, though, that's uh, crucial to any mitigation, any planned success, any uh, looking into something being favorable for you. Communication exactly. uh, and planning are uh, one of the, the greatest things that you can put into effect. And if you're a, a business owner, you're a, a leader of a company or an organization, and those things are not in place today, I urge you to go back to the drawing board and get everybody together right. and start making some type of policy or directive that, that allows you to easily go through the communication and planning process because it'll save you in the long run. Now, it will save them thousands of dollars. We used to call it the operations plan. We always had an up order in place. And at the time of a crisis or mission, the orders came down, execute, being implemented, you know, just let's bring it all together. So um, I, I urge them to do that too. And no business is too small. If you are a solopreneur like myself, you know, I have... Uh, others that I partner with, you need to partner with somebody on these types of uh, emergency type things that for crisis management as a crisis, you know, as a leader, so that you'll have all this stuff in place. So uh, you could say, well, I am only a person of one. Yeah. But if you have a business, you have a facility and you have all that and you're trying to save money, partner with somebody that can help you or you could help them. That's how you do that. And split the expenses if that's what's required. Because in the long run, it saves lives, it's gonna save you time, and it's gonna number one, is it number one thing, it's gonna save your employees. Employee safety is number one, whether it's a crisis or not. Your employees wanna feel safe. They wanna know that 
hey, if this happens, I'm safe. I could go back home to my family. So safety is key in any type of crisis. So when you're developing that crisis management plan, keep safety in mind from the begin to the end state or look at end state and work it back up to the beginning. Safety, safety, safety. Okay, so I had communication, uh, communicate on there. Third, I had do the harder right than the easier wrong. Do the harder right than the easier wrong. We always want to take a shortcut or we always want to, um, when I say we, I'm just saying in general, we always want to uh, go down a path of, distra of distraction. Oh, well, let's take a shortcut and do it this way. Well, shortcuts sometimes cost you a whole lot of money. So don't get distracted or derailed uh, when you partner with others or as a leader trying to save money to play to, um, to um, I want to say play up, I'm going to just be authentic, to kiss up to the executive leader, you know, to kiss up to the boss, you want to cut everything and, you know, put safety, oh, forget about safety, let's just do it this way. Do the harder right than the easier round. And sometimes, I have done it before, sometimes you're standing alone. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember as a commander, I was stationed at Fort Lost in the Woods, Fort Leonard Wood, and as a commander, the battalion commander said we had to rake leaves and it was in January time frame. It was freezing. The leaves were stuck at the ground, on the ground. And I had a, a, a command with training units. And one of the things I knew because I was a nurse prior to being in the Corps, that the temperature I had checked with the range control and the temperature was below zero. And I wasn't going to have my soldiers to go out there because I wasn't going out there. So I disobeyed an order. And uh, General Alvin West always said, as long as it's something that's gonna impact lives, if you get an order that uh, you feel is not correct, don't do it. You could say no and justify it later. So I did, and the other company commanders, they went out there, they had, and I called the hospital, I had friends up at the hospital, they said they had so many soldiers came in with frogs, bites, a few of them lost digits because of the frostbite. So I decided not to do it. My, uh, my senior, my senior um, NCOs and my senior leaders, uh, enlisted leaders, my first sergeant, they all sided with me and they said, ma'am, go ahead. And that's when we're talking about leader, leadership uh, and courage. And I wrote a little bit about that in one of the, uh, my last projects. Leadership and courage, you have to be able to stand up as a leader and be courageous and just take the rap. So I did. And uh, long story short, I got an impact award because I was the only company commander whose unit did not have frostbites. And I disobeyed the orders, but I took it beyond my battalion commander and I went up to Colonel Edwards at the time. And he said I did the right thing and he was very, um, proud to know that somebody would stand up to somebody else. But if you do the right thing, the, the, the harder right than the easier wrong, you save yourself a lot of ma uh, money, you save yourself a lot of embarrassment, and you'll save yourself a lot of doing over works, but mostly you'll save lives.
Well, you know, they call that blind followership, right? You, you, you can't just put a blanket <laughs> of follow everything that you're told uh, because you have to, and I love that, do the harder right, right? Uh, there's easier ways. Uh, and, and especially in a military setting, you normally don't get that, right? You don't know, normally get someone disobey an order, but, but you're in a leadership position for a reason. And especially during crises, right. if, if you're in a, in a crisis and, and you have to make a decision and that decision must not be uh, for the mission only, the mission doesn't get completed unless the people do it. So exactly. you got to think about the people first and how it's going to impact them. If, if it's going to be a, an, an impact that's going to uh hamper the mission success right. then you need to start there see mm -hmm. what you can do about that piece before you move on to fulfilling the mission and uh, that was a classic case of they were going after the mission and, <laughs> and, and, and they, they overlooked the people right and uh you know i'm i'm happy to to hear you say take that type of approach to um to the crises at hand because the people are the ones that actually make that mission a success. Not, not the fact that you completed That's right. it. And, and it was a decisive moment for me. Am I gonna, and I was, you know, I would at that time, they didn't have many women in that battalion at all. And, you know, women were just coming in there and, you know, I got, you know, I got my red up and down and he had my, my article 15. I said, well, I'll take a court martial, you know but it didn't get there because I had already sent the information up to the brigade commander. And uh, I just think, but don't think I wasn't scared, <laughs> but you know, I was scared, you know, I said, Oh my gosh, I'm going to jail or whatever, but I didn't. God was with me and I thank God for that. So, you know, tying that in, you have, you know, the next thing I had was uh, be courageous and confident. And that was an example right there of being courageous and confident in whatever you're doing being fearless and overcoming those fictitious narratives. You know, people are going to talk about you. I said, they talk about Jesus, so who am I, you know? And, uh, 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 you know, with this Facebook thing now, I see people getting mad and people finding the folks and fighting and all of that stuff. You know, don't, don't do that. If you can't handle, you know, you know, they like say, if you can't get in the kitchen and it's too hot for you, then stay out of the kitchen, you know? So, Get off of Facebook if you don't want people to talk about you. You know, I ain't get no likes. Who cares if you get likes? If you like it, it's a like. That's all. You know, I don't care if nobody likes. I love getting likes, but if, you know, but I'm not gonna cry and and say, well, she didn't like my page and she I ain't gonna like her. No, that's not my mission out there. My mission at the Empowerment Doc is to empower people daily with something that's that is led on my heart or undermined something that would trigger them to take action as leaders. So we talk about the first one, which we said was to communicate and then do the harder right than the easier wrong. And third, you know, talking about being courageous and confidence. And then as a, as a uh, leader, uh, in, when you're in crisis, management or just plain old business you have to have a strategic plan you have to have that plan that's inclusive of a beginning and an end 
and state. As a business owner, you're going to have a lot of crisis, but how much crisis can you handle? And if you can't handle the crisis in your business anymore, do you have an exit strategy? What is that exit strategy going to look like? Am I going to turn it over to a family member, to my kids? Or am I going to have somebody buy my business out? Or am I just going to dissolve my, uh, my business and donate what assets I have to another company? Those are the type of things as a leader, uh, when it comes to crisis, right now, a lot of people are in crisis. They shut their businesses down because they didn't have a backup plan and everybody can't have a backup plan. But while you're making a little money, you should be saving some on the side. You should have three parts, personal, you know, reinvested in the business and then, you know, um, backup plan money. You should have three different parts. That's how I look at it. I don't know how others look at it, but you should have that plan of security. Not only is for the business, but it's securing for your family. That's why there's a lot of right now, a lot of people are jobless. A lot of people get losing their homes and it's sad because, you know, and I'm not knocking anybody for, but everybody's doing the best that they can. But some people didn't expect, I didn't expect to have this, um, this duration of a time of the crisis, the Corona crisis. And the Corona crisis led to homelessness, it led to joblessness. And um, I didn't say anything about it, but when we serve, we had anthrax, we had um, the flu virus, the swine flu. We had several different crises at that time, but they didn't shut the nation down. I know the vaccinated, they gave us, um, you know, they had a plan. They had inoculation. They gave us a vaccine, you know, but I don't know about this new vaccine. I have to see it work for a couple of years. <laughs> you know. Well, I tell so, you that, yeah, you're right. We, we had so many vaccinations that we didn't we know which one we were getting. <laughs> yeah, there, there, were couple, but, there were a couple that I skipped because I wasn't sure. I, just, <laughs> I love that you end your, your, your point there on strategy because entrepreneurs, um, if you don't have a strategy, Oh my, I mean, what can you say? Uh, and that's just somebody that may be going on by themselves. You said, you mentioned solopreneurs. We, they have been better. We'd say veteranpreneurs, but either way, if you're going into something and you don't have a strategy of how you go in and how you can come out, because right, not every, not every firefight is going to end up in your victory. You got to know how to get out of there and, and save yourself, your team. And others, really. Right? Your team. Yes. Because the point. team makes a collective. And when yes. you have a company, yes. those people, they rely on you. And one, yes. one of the things that I find challenging for some of that I speak to is, the, is them to getting in their head that it's not their business. It's the folks' business. If, if you hire somebody, it's their business. And, uh, and if you don't look out for them and they go, there goes your business. Right. Right? So, so you need to invest in a good strategy. That's something that, you know, come together and work on it together so that everybody's safe. And see, that's why we have to bring everybody to the table. And, um, you know, 
from the janitors, the cooks, the service people, everyone should have a representative to the table. I remember when I was working and I was one of the project managers uh, when the engineer school was being built. There were a lot of us as a captain. And um, one of the janitors said to us, uh, why are you all having the door? Make sure you all have the door swing this way. Therefore, we can keep this, the bathrooms cleaner. And people could drop their, their paper towel as they go out. Because the way it swung in the old facilities that they work in, it wasn't conducive to keeping them as clean as they would like them to be. A simple thing like that is, was a very good idea. And we worked in the, uh, the phase where the, uh, the designer could make that, that minor change then instead of waiting and it would cost millions and millions of dollars. So uh, I think bring everyone to the table, give them a voice. You know, every department has a representative. Every representative should be at the table and have a voice. I always say natural disasters are gonna come. And when the natural disasters come, we should be prepared. And as a crisis, uh, leader, crisis management, we have to be prepared to do what we can. And it has to be a budgeted item. You can't just say, okay, we're going to do A, B, C, D. There has to be some dollars associated with it. You have whatever doesn't have dollars uh, attached to it doesn't happen, you know. So you get to get real close with the one that has the gold. I said the finance officer, they were always my best friends or finance lady, whoever it was. Yeah, but I um I, I enjoyed this and um oh I had a couple other things here written down here uh, and I have a reference for you for them that they can go to. They say, well, Doc Seaton, do you do all that crisis management? Well, I train on crisis management and uh, in more detail than this. However, uh, when they send me an email, I have a company that inculcates. They have all the different machinery, the tools and everything in one uh, system, a systematic approach to it. And I think it was awesome. And I'll share that. I'll give you my email address. And when you email it to me, I'll send a link to that company. I don't get a penny. They don't even know that I'm recommending them or anything. I just like to empower people so that they will know. And usually uh, when I go into a company, I would give, I would find some resources that they can use. And um, this is, these are the things you have to think about uh, when it comes to crisis management. And I think I named some natural disasters. We are all those natural disasters, but civil unrest, that's what's going on now. That's a crisis. That's a big crisis. People aren't working, so it's civil unrest. And then you have to look at the power and utility outage. Just like before we started here, we had a surge. I had to switch from one, uh, one uh, instrument to another. The health and safety incidents, healthy, the coronavirus, and the safety, keeping people in, quarantine, those type things, plan for all stuff like this. And then supply and chain disruption. My husband was in the transportation court and their logo was nothing happens until something moves. And you know, so if you can't move from point A to point B, nothing is gonna happen. But the communication guy said nothing happens 
they stay connected. And us engineers will say nothing happens until we dig in those positions for you, right? So uh, you have to take everyone into consider consideration. The transportation, getting the stuff there, airline tickets, people couldn't fly, can't get the food to you. The distributors have the food, but they can't move it. And then finally, the infrastructure, your roads and your railways have to be able to go. If the planes, if the planes can go, the roads and the railways has to be able to be accessible to transport stuff back and forth. I love this. I wish we could have more uh, conversation on this. And uh, I really am so appreciative of you uh, just, um, you know, letting me have this voice on here and, and us having this dialogue. And I want to say four things that um, we can control. We, no, four things that we can control as individuals. We can control our attitude. We can control our actions. We could control our efforts and we could control our behaviors. So before you get into crisis management, do self-reflection. Hey, let me see before I just slap you upside the face. Let me just self, let me take a deep breath back and self-reflect and say, is this necessary? And I'm gonna end on that note. That's wonderful. Uh, thank you for sharing all, all the knowledge that you gave us today. I'm so happy that we had the opportunity to, to talk and, and talk about crisis uh, leadership, which is very important nowadays. Right. I was going to ask you, Dr. Sita, if, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Oh, okay. This is the easy way. You can send me an email with your name and your, your email with your name and your number, if you so desire. And I will send you a free ebook and just go to DRCITA, that's Dr. Cita, DRCITA at C-I-T-A-G-I-B-S-O-N dot com. Dr. Cita at CitaGibson.com. Dr. Cita at CitaGibson.com. And if you want to follow me on Facebook, I have the uh, Leadership Academy. You have to opt in which is Inspire, Lead, Grow. That's Inspire, Lead, Grow Academy or Inspire, Lead, Grow. And you could follow me on Instagram at Dr. Cedar Gibson. I think it's Cedar Maloon Gibson, but Dr. Cedar Maloon Gibson. Outstanding. And I'm on, I'm on Twitter <laughs> and LinkedIn as well. And all social media, I'm on there, so. Thank you, Enrique, you know, my vetpreneur friend. And uh, to everybody that's out there, stay safe, wear a mask. Outstanding. Thank, Thank you, you so Thank much. You. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you for being with us. And for all those that have been listening, uh, get your plans in order. Uh, please check yourself first, though, right? right. Uh, but get your plans in order. And uh, until next time, uh, as we normally end our show, success to you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'd love to hear suggestions for our future shows or any remarks you may have that will help us improve. Until then, success to you.